If you have your Bibles this morning, I would like to ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts, the first chapter. In today's American culture, there are many different strategies for churches. Churches have many different styles, fads, trends, whatever you want to call it, to quote-unquote reach people. I will often call these the church fads of the day. They will be popular one minute, and then, and they, then they will move on to something else or another different type of fad. Some of these may not be inherent, inherently bad, but I wonder today if maybe our fads are part of the reason we've seen decline in Christianity uh, among our culture. The problem with any church that's driven on a fad is we know that the fad will come and go, and maybe at sometimes come back. For example, the fad in the 70s was guys wearing short shorts and women wearing pants up above their waist. And then the, the 90s came, and this is when I was a part of this, where guys were wearing shorts past their knees. And women were wearing pants at their waist. And guess what? We're back at the 70s now. Was the 70s really that good? <laughs> In the first service, I heard a portion of the people say yes and a portion of the people say no. But like today, it's popular now for guys to be wearing basketball shorts that are shorter than your average shorts. It's weird that I can go to a basketball game with my dad and he feels more at home now than I do. I used to make fun of him for the shorts he would wear and now the basketball players are wearing those exact same shorts. It's the same way in the church. Are we to be a purpose-driven church or a seeker-sensitive church or a family-driven church, a contemporary church, a traditional church, an emergent church or an emerging church or a fundamental church? There are so many different options out there. There are so many different strategies for churches which has given us a drive-through mentality of the church where I can just go, order whatever I want, and then get the type of church I want. Joshua Harris in his book, Stop Dating the Church, uh, talks about his friend Nathan, and this is what he says. <clears throat> Take my friend Nathan. He had attended two churches on Sundays, one because he liked the music and the other because he liked the preaching. And his involvement in both went no deeper. At the first church, he'd slip out just before the last song wound down and, and would drive to the other church just five minutes away. He even factored in time to stop by McDonald's for an Egg McMuffin. And then he would time it so that he would be walking into the second church just as the pastor started preaching. Now here's the thing. You can't be completely invested in a church that way. And I don't believe that's even the design in which God intended our involvement to be. When he felt like he was personally gaining something, actually it was resulting in serious loss, both for himself and for others. 
But not only have we come up with so many different styles and preferences, but there are also so many different denominations to choose from. I was born and raised Southern Baptist. I tell people when I bleed, I bleed Southern Baptist blood. The reason is because I feel like we have a Christ-centered view of the scriptures and also understand doing missions together. But although we are still the largest Protestant denomination in the country, we are not alone, people. We are not alone. There are so many denominations out there. There are faithful brothers and sisters within the Presbyterian Church of America, Sovereign Grace Churches, and Bible Churches. churches. We also have brothers and sisters in Methodist, Pentecostal, General Baptist, Independent Baptist, Free Will Baptist, uh, Reformed Baptist, Lutherans, and so many more. There are counted around approximately 9,000 different denominations in the United States, including non-denominational. So I mentioned this, these strategies, styles, and denominations for this reason. Although I agree with the denominational world because it helps us define who we are. It helps Southern Baptists define what we believe and who we are. But to some degree, I think our culture of American Christianity has put us up against the mission that the Lord has called us to. We are called to one mission. We are called by one purpose, and we are called as one church. And as we study God's word this morning, it is my prayer that he would fuel a fire in our hearts for doing missions together. So please stand with me, if you're willing and able, as I read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Inspired by God, this is what it says. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him, him out of their sight. And while they were, and while they were going into the, um, and while they were gazing into heaven, he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This, this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the reminder of the mission that you've called us to. And we pray that over the next few moments that we have together, that you would be glorified by what takes place. We pray that you would convict us and that we would be challenged by your word to live it out faithfully each and every day. And Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to mix it up from what we had last week. Pastor Mike came up and preached last week, and he preached through prayer through the whole book of Luke. Okay? So what I decided was to go the opposite direction and look at one verse. Uh, so we're gonna, that doesn't mean mine's going to be any shorter than his. 
okay? But we're going to focus on just one verse, and that's going to be verse 8 here. This is often known as uh, the Acts 1-8 challenge, <clears throat> or uh, part of the Great Commission that we also see in Matthew chapter 28. Our main focus will derive from that verse in, in, in verse 8. But what is happening here is Jesus responds in Acts 1-8 to a question that he is asked in verse 6. And that question is this. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, the apostles were, were ready for the kingdom to be completely restored at that moment. But Jesus had other plans. And he, to this day, still has other plans than the kingdom being completely restored right now. Jesus says in verse 7, It is not for you to know time or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let me explain to you what Jesus is trying to get across. He's trying to get across saying, Let him, Jesus, wor worry about the kingdom while we should be worried about the mission. And often what happens is we get more concerned about the time and the place in which Jesus is coming back that we totally forget about the mission that he has called us to. So that's what we're going to look at this morning is this idea of the mission and the mission he has called us to. So the first thing we see here is that our mission needs power. Our mission needs power. Look at the first phrase in verse 8. But you will receive power. You're going to receive power. Now, here's the thing. We can't accomplish the mission of God apart from the power of God. So if we're going to be on mission with the Lord, for the Lord, we need his power to help us on that mission. This is the same thing that we see Luke writing about in Luke chapter 24. So Luke is the author of Acts, but he's also the author of the book of Luke. And in Luke 24 verse 49, Jesus says this, And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. What's he saying? I am sending you the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So we should wait until the Holy Spirit comes. As the Holy Spirit comes, we have this sense of power that can be used for the mission of God. The necessary power comes through the Holy Spirit. When we rely on our own power, I can promise you one thing. We will fail at our mission. We will not accomplish the mission that God has set out for us if we rely on our own power. Now, I'm not an electrician, but it doesn't take much for me to realize that your power source is only as effective as the current in which it is hooked up to. So if it's hooked up to the wrong current, it's not going to work, or if it does work, you're going to have a very bad experiment on your hands. And here's the thing. Much of our mission often gets hooked up to the wrong current, which is ourselves, where it needs to be hooked up to the Holy Spirit and the power that we have through Him. So we can't accomplish the mission of God apart from the power of God. Also, our mission needs the right 
power which is the Holy Spirit. John Piper says it like this. The reason special power is essential is that it takes power to just become a Christian. But it takes another dimension of power to carry out the expanding witness of Christ. So it takes power for us to become a Christian. And then as we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit now comes into our lives. And as he comes into our lives, we now have the power to to be effective witnesses for the Lord. Think about how the disciples had felt. They had already experienced the great saving power of Jesus. They had been with him. They had served alongside of him. They had seen him die. They had speculations about his return. But then he returns and you have Thomas who's sitting there saying, I need to feel your hands to make sure those are your scars. And then, right before he ascends, he says, I'm giving you even more power. Wow. That's great news. What Jesus is telling them about in Luke 24 is what they are experiencing in Acts 1.8. The right type of power which can only come from the Holy Spirit. See, if we're going to be effective witnesses we are, that we are called to be, we must rely on his power. Nothing else. His power. See, one of the things I love about this church is I do believe we are a missional church. Now, I do also believe in the Christian world we throw this idea around missional churches just anywhere and everywhere, and I think it's just crazy. But I do believe we're a missional church because much of our conversations in pastoral staff meetings and as we're creating events is we're saying, what can we do to reach people? Like, there's no point of doing this if it's not, if there's not a purpose of trying to reach people. So I believe we are a missional church, but I also believe that the Lord is and will call out more vocational missionaries from this church. And maybe you're one of them. And maybe you're just hesitant to accept that call. Maybe you're just hesitant because you, you're, you fear the unknown. Well, if that's the case, then you're trusting in the wrong power. Allow the Lord, we just sang about this, allow the Lord to lead you and wherever he leads, you should follow. Don't find your hope in the unexpected or the unknown. Find your hope in the Lord. But here's the thing, what happens with his power? What happens with his power? We see this in 1 Corinthians 1, 17. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians? He's called to preach the gospel. But let's take it a step further. He's not called to be a pastor. He's called to preach the gospel. The same thing that you are called to do. We don't need, you know, 600 pastors or 600 uh, 
uh, uh, staff members. What we need is we need 600 missionaries. We are all called to preach the gospel. And when we do that, we feel the power of the Lord. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Have you ever just had an overwhelming fear, uh, feeling of the Holy Spirit? I hope you, one, if you've been saved, you have. But even after salvation, have you ever had just one of those overwhelming feeling where you can just feel the presence of the Lord? <clears throat> Let me give you an example of one of these times recently, just um, a little over a week ago as we had vacation Bible school. Garrett does a great job on one of the days just mixing things up and changing things. So on Friday, um, they came in here for the morning worship rally, and he just mixed it up a little bit. It didn't look like all the other uh, worship rallies. And he had a time of response for the kids that were here. And he had, he had them doing something on this side that kind of explains the, the goodness and greatness of our Lord. And then on this side, he had a shredder. Okay? I'm already getting goosebumps thinking about this. He had a shredder, and then the kids could come up and write down something that they are fearing or something that they are struggling with or something that uh, maybe maybe a sin. And what would happen is they would take that paper and walk over here and put it in the shredder. And as you heard these things shredding, there was, there was a sense of the Holy Spirit and the power of God working among the hearts and the lives of our kids. I want to feel that power all the time. I want to feel that power when, when, when I'm trying to talk with my neighbor about Jesus. I want to feel, because you know what? The power of God is not emptied, but it's completely full. We also see this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if you have been saved, if you are a Christian, you have that power. You have the same power that saved Paul is the same power that saved you that now is living within us that is calling us to be on mission for him. So our mission needs power and that power that can only come from the Lord. Secondly, our mission needs deep conviction. Our mission needs deep conviction. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, there has to have deep conviction about the mission he has called us to. We must have deep conviction about the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When you were saved, you were, you were fully convicted. And we have that today. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Or have you ever listened to Pastor Joey when he pr prays right before his sermon? 
towards the end of every, almost every one of his prayers, he quotes a verse from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. If, you, if I read this and you have no clue what I'm talking about, um, you either haven't been here very long or you sleep while he prays. We're hoping the first part. Uh, but he, says, he reads this, or he prays this. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Does that sound familiar? Yes, mostly. See, he prays that because he wants the power of God that is far able to do more than anything we could ask or think to be the one doing the work and do, uh, doing the convicting. See, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it should give us a confidence in the work and the power of our Lord and Savior. If we are not deeply con convicted in our mission, then we will be deeply ineffective in our mission. If you're not convicted to do what the Lord has called you to do, then you obviously will not do that. So we need a deep conviction among us. We also need a deep conviction for the lost. When was the last time you've been deeply convicted for a lost person? I want you to personally think this morning in your own heart, in your own life, when was the last time you've been deeply convicted for a lost person? I mean that you've prayed and wept over a soul who doesn't know Jesus. How is it that we can weep when our favorite football team loses or our son or daughter doesn't make the ball team, but when our closest friends are lost, it doesn't really matter? One of my favorite hymns of all time is a hymn written by Fanny Crosby, who she has written like thousands of hymns, and it's a hymn called Rescue the Perishing. And the, the verse goes like, uh, there are several verses, but the verses go like this. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them into pity from sin in the grave, weep o'er their erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the patient child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Rescue the perishing, meaning Jesus is going to rescue them. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. And uh, some people I know, Billy and Cindy Foote, rewrote this song. And uh, as they rewrote it, they put a bridge to it. And I want you to, this morning, watch the lyrics of this bridge and think about the questions that they're asking. And as you watch the lyrics to this bridge and, and watch this video, um, I, pr I pray that we would be challenged. So you. As we're playing our songs While we're singing them well Have we forgotten
we've forgotten the reality of hell, do we even care? When will we care? Like, every time I hear that song, I am deeply convicted about my lack of conviction for the mission that God has called me on. So we, we need a deep conviction. We need a deep conviction for the lost, but we also need a deep conviction for the mission, <clears throat> for the mission that he's called us to. What is the mission? The mission is to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end, end of the earth. That's the mission. Specifically, what's our mission statement here at Mount Pleasant? Mount Pleasant Baptist Church exists to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Very simplistic statement. What does that mean for us here at Mount Pleasant? That means where you work, where you go to school, the ball teams that your kids play on, the teams that you coach, the neighbors that you have, you are to meet them where they are and point them to Jesus. I will even take it a step further. The church you attend, you are to meet them where they are and point them to Jesus. No matter where we go and what we do, should be meeting people where they are and pointing them to Jesus. That is the Acts 1-8 challenge. That is what we see as the Great Commission. In church, I hope we have a hot, white passion for that mission. See, we are called to be missionaries. All of us. Every single one of us are called to be missionaries. Now, I believe and I trust that the Lord is going to call out more vocational missionaries out of this church. I pray for that, and I pray for that daily, that we see more people coming out of this church, going somewhere, either overseas or here in the United States, where they are um, missionaries uh, vocationally. But I also believe that we have 500 and 600 people here who are called to be missionaries. Dr. George Truitt, he, is the, he was the pastor at First Baptist Dallas in the late 1800s, and he pastored there for about 50 years. And under his leadership, before W.A. Criswell came, uh, he, he, he grew, grew the church. He was the Southern Baptist president uh, Southern Baptist Convention president twice. And then W.A. Criswell came and did some incre incredible things as well. W.A. Criswell preached a sermon on Acts 1-8 that I was listening to this past week. And he quoted Dr. George Truitt, who was the pastor before him. And this is what Dr. George Truitt said. <clears throat> this is a missionary church. And if there is any member who isn't a missionary, then he should feel out of place. That's my prayer for us this morning at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church that you feel out of place if you're not a missionary. If you're not on mission for the Lord on a daily basis. Now I understand that's going to look different for each and every one of us. But still, we are called to be missionaries. I even heard once uh, of a dear friend of mine who wrote a dissertation about this, okay? 
how every member is to be a missionary. So I decided to get online this week and see if I could find that dissertation. And I typed it into Google, and I didn't know how long it would take me to find it. It took me like three seconds. And then it popped up. Dr. Joey Anthony. His dissertation is online about how every member is called to be a missionary in the local church. Oh, wow, that's even better. And he got an A minus on it. I want to meet the guy who gave him the minus. All right? So I know some of you right now probably have your phones out Googling and trying to find it right now. And that's totally fine. Um, But there's 200 pages worth of uh, literature there of every member being a missionary. That's the heart of your pastor. That's the heart of our pastoral staff. And I pray that that's the heart of our church, that we are all together on mission with the Lord. It's also my prayer that we would see more vocational missionaries out of this church. Let me ask you this question this morning. Can you do more for the Lord in your vocation or uh, as a vocational missionary? Your answer should be what your calling is. There are some people who are going to be able to do more in their own job as a missionary than what they are being called somewhere else. Great, we need those type of people. And then there are others who are called outside of that. Our mission needs needs a deep conviction. So our, our mission needs power, it needs a deep conviction, but it also needs boldness. It needs boldness. We need a boldness in our sharing. Think about the things that you're bold about. Okay? Some of us are bold about where we eat. Like, we like to eat at great places. Like, that's what we do. We just, we find the best places to eat, and we, we go and we eat there. Or some of us are bold about sports, and we like to go to, this is my heart, and I understand this. And this can, can be an issue in my life. I like to go to sporting events, and I, and I like to root on my team and be bold about my team. Some of us are bold about movies and games. Uh, some of us are bold about our politics. But if we're bold about all those things, why can't we be bold about our Savior and our Lord? I say, if some believers were to examine their social media, they may find that they are more concerned with creating followers of their favorite political leader than creating followers of Jesus. Let's spend our lives more poured out defending the gospel in the empty tomb rather than defending an ill-advised tweet. Let's think about where our boldness lies. Jeff Christofferson, who was the, uh, the guy we had come in February who was our mission speaker. You may or may not remember him, but he came in February. He did our, our, our missions, and, and as he, um, uh, he works with the North American Mission Board, and as he uh, works with the North American Mission Board, he does a lot of blogging and stuff. And he blogged this this past week about this. And I want you to just really take this in. And there's a lot longer than what I have, but this is just a section of it. Here is a question. What happens to the mission field 
when partisan evangelicals collectively turn their missionary platforms into ideological troll farms? What happens to the mission field when our highest calling is to leverage a profound cultural angst into a vitriolic nationalism? What happens to the mission field when those with whom we disagree become cultural enemies to vanquish rather than friends and neighbors to love? What happens to the mission field when an aberrant version of Jesus is formed in our own image and uh, weaponized online as a uh, periodical uh, wrecking ball? What happens to the mission field when evangelicalism's good news has nothing to do with the gospel? Let me tell you what happens. Your mission fails. And sometimes our boldness has nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with culture. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I pray for the day that as the Holy Spirit comes into this place and he fills us and we feel his presence, that the earth would shake here because of the boldness that we have in our Lord and our God. So we need, a, we need a boldness in our sharing, but we also need a boldness in our living. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 say, say this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Do not be ashamed of how God has changed you. Tell others, allow that testimony to be the power in which God has saved you, to be also be the power in which you tell others others about what he has already done. See, our lives ultimately reflect what we believe. The way you live on mission for the Lord shows what you believe about God. And if we're not willing to live with a sense of boldness, maybe it's because our fear surpasses our trust in the Lord. I pray that that would not be the case. So what does your life reflect today? Maybe you're sitting there today and you know your life doesn't reflect Jesus. Well, the call for you today is to turn that over. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. If you're a non-Christian, you turn that over by admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you make mistakes, admitting that you have, have fallen and turning your life over to Jesus. You turn your life over to Jesus by uh, uh, believing that he died and rose again on the third day and that he is the one and only Savior and Lord. And when you turn your sins over and you believe in him, then he ultimately will save you. But maybe some of us need to turn other things over to him. Maybe our boldness maybe our power, maybe our conviction. Turn that over to him and allow him to use you in a way that would be God-honoring, not use you in a way that's destroying the mission of God. So we need a, bold, uh, a boldness 
in our living. We need a boldness in our sharing, but we also need a boldness in our going. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 say this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You get it? We are all called to preach the gospel. We are all called to share the gospel. We are all called. And if they don't, according to Paul, this is what he says, if they don't hear, how are they going to believe? They need to hear it. They, they need the gospel to be shared. And get this, and I will say this again later. God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He's going to accomplish his mission with or without us. But I say we jump on board with him. So when I think of this passage, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is what I think of, this picture here. Yeah, there we go. This was just a couple weeks ago here at our church. This is Jean-Marc and his family. He serves in Quebec. I know you've, you probably have heard a lot about this over the last few weeks. But he, we spent a week with him there where we go up there and we allow him to share the gospel with the people that he's serving up there. Then he came back and he spent a week with us here during vacation Bible school, uh, school week. And uh, different families had different times to take him out to lunch, to have him over for dinner, do different activities with him and his family. Um, I know there were at least two separate occasions, one with me and one with the Riggs, where he's coming into our culture and he's the one who has the boldness to be telling others about Jesus. And Robbie even took a video of him standing in Sweet Frog with an Indian guy, and he's trying to check him out, and he's telling him about sin and how he needs to repent of his sin. How beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. Now, I think God, the Holy Spirit, inspired that verse and use the feet because the feet are some of the nastiest parts of our body. But it's also where we, what we use to walk as well. So in order to spread the good news, we need to get there and tell people about, about them. We need to do this locally. We need to do this in our state, nationally and internationally. Finally, our last point. We need power, we need deep conviction, we need boldness, and our, our mission needs obedience. Our mission needs obedience. <clears throat> obedience requires a call to action. It requires us to do something. You can have power, you can feel convicted, and you can have a sense of boldness. But without, without obedience, it means nothing. It doesn't do anything. Had the opportunity while John Mark was in town to take him down to Remnant Church, 
For those of you who don't know, Remnant is the church plant that was planted out of here uh, 10, 11 years ago, and they're in downtown Richmond. And Remnant um, just opened a second location within the last year. So I took Jean Marc down there, trying to get him connected a little bit with um, <clears throat> Brian Laughlin and just talk about missions. So as we're taking walking around their new, their second location, the building that they have bought. We go down into the basement, and if you ever spend any time with Brian Laughlin, you know you're going to get a sermon sooner or later, okay? He's going to start preaching. So we're talking about just the mission of the church and what we're called to do. And he makes this statement, and I totally agree. I'm going to kind of quote him in this. He says, your people at Mount Pleasant and my people are remnants. It's not that they don't know about the mission. They're just not doing the mission. I agree. Like what I'm saying this morning, like this probably isn't new to most of us. It's not that we don't know about this mission. It's often we choose not to be a part of it. I pray that that would convict us and change our hearts. Because we have one mission, we have one purpose, we are one church. I know we have two services, but we are one church. Let's strive to be obedient to the ends of the earth together. We have a Jerusalem, we have a Judea, we have a Samaria, and we are called from there to the ends of the earth. We're called together on mission. We don't need, in my opinion, we don't need more strategies. We just need the power of God through the obedience of his people is what we need. Repentance. We need, we need to repent. We need to repent for, for knowing the mission of God without being obedient to the mission of God. And then some of us need to repent of our lives, uh, of our sins, um, of not having a relationship with Jesus. Some of us need to surrender that over this morning. I pray that if you're a non-believer here this morning and you've heard this message, that you would desire to be on mission together with us. And that first step is by surrendering your life to him. And we can help you with that. And I pray that we as the church here at Mount Pleasant this morning, we would repent and accept the mission that we see here in Acts 1-8. See, if Jean-Marc and Mira, if they're ever going to see the church penetrate the darkness of Quebec, it's going to be because the power of God through their obedience. If Mount Pleasant Baptist Church is ever going to be effective with, the, uh, with winning the hearts and lives of those in Colonial Heights, Petersburg, and the Tri-Cities area, you know what? It's because the Lord is going to do it through, through our obedience. It's His power through our obedience. So what are we going to do? The Lord does not need me. He does not need you. With that, 
Are we just satisfied with our spiritual involvement in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Are you satisfied with your involvement in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Can the world see the power of the Lord through our conviction? Can the world see the power of the Lord through our boldness? Can the world see the power of the Lord through our obedience? Have we forgotten that Jesus says here in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power. You have the power for the mission. You just need to use it. So how do we respond? The answer is so crucial to showing that we do only have one mission, one purpose, and one church. And here's how we respond. There's only one thing to do. Live as a missionary. Live as a missionary. And I pray that we would do that together as we leave here this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that you have called us to this morning. I pray that this has been edifying. I pray that we have been encouraged. I pray that we've been convicted. And Lord, that we would leave here feeling a sense of your spirit and your spirit leading us on mission for you. Lord, I pray that there are those in this room who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that this morning they would come forward and share uh, and ask how they can uh, receive you as Christ, receive you as Lord. I also pray over this sanctuary right now. If there are those who are being called into vocation mission uh, missions, I pray, God, that you would give them a sense of conviction and you would call them out this morning. And Lord, as Christians, may this altar fill this morning, repenting of how we often treat missions, how we often treat our lives and our lives are, have so much boldness and purpose for everything else other than the mission that you've called us to. Lord, I know the people in this church that they want to see the hearts and the lives of these people in our community to be changed. But God, if, if we're ever going to do that, if we're ever going to see that here, it's going to start with us having power from you. It's going to start with being deeply convicted for the lost. It's going to start with having a boldness about how you have saved us and wanting to tell others. And then, Lord, it's going to begin also with our obedience. So, God, I pray for that. I pray that you would help us with that, those obedience, uh, that obedience, and that, Lord, we would leave here feeling as if we are entering our mission field. And, Lord, we thank you, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you stand, we're going to have a time of response. You respond however the Lord desires you to respond this morning.